Amen. How are we doing? Good morning. Awesome. Man, I've been in the, the midst of post-vacation trying to be a human again, uh, and I'm slowly getting there, <laughs> so hopefully you are too. If that's you, feels like everything's scatterbrained in the summer, but it's a good, man, I need to rest, sort of scatterbrained. Uh, my name is Ben. If you're a visitor, uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and I get the privilege of uh, sitting under the Word of God with you this morning. Uh, and that, that's what it is. I, I don't have any authority. Uh, this word, because it's God's word, has authority. And so we all sit under it, and we're going to learn from it as the Holy Spirit is in our midst and helps us to understand it. Um, we're going to be in Mark 6, and we're going to pick up right in the next story uh, for where Nathan left off uh, last week. You'll remember uh, that Nathan talked about how Jesus went to his hometown and uh, they didn't really receive him, and so he could do uh, not many works there. And he said, a prophet is not without honor in his hometown. And, uh, and then we're going to get into what we're doing today. And we're actually going to read a bigger section uh, than what I'm focusing on directly, uh, because it forms uh, kind of a larger point, I think, that Mark's making. Chris has kind of alluded to this a few times, but uh, Mark uses this literary technique a lot called the Mark, well, scholars have named it the Markin Sandwich. And so uh, it's kind of a goofy name. Uh, but basically, Mark will start out telling a story, and then he'll stop and tell another story, and then he'll come back to the first story that he was taking. And that story that's inserted in the middle always makes some larger point about the initial story. And so uh, a good example was a few weeks ago, and this happened in real time, but then Mark wrote it that way too. But, you know, Jesus was uh, going to heal Jairus' daughter, and then the woman with the issue of blood uh, stops and touches the fringe of his garment. He stops and he's like, who touched me? And everybody and the disciples are like, you're crazy, Jesus, everybody touched you. And, uh, and he's like, no, no, power went out of me. And the woman came up and said, it was me. And he said, your faith has made you well. And then he goes to the daughter and it kind of forms this larger point. And that happened in real time, but Mark seems to intentionally lots of times kind of put these things together where you're like, why are you writing this way? And he's writing in that A, B, a way to try to make a larger point. So he's going to make a larger point today in this one. So we're going to read, you know, the sending out of the apostles, the beheading of John the Baptist, and then we're going to see he kind of comes back to the end of the apostles' mission. And we're not really going to talk about that beheading part much. Uh, we're mainly going to talk about the sending of the apostles. So let's go ahead and go there now. Uh, Mark 6, if you don't have a Bible and would like to use one, our ushers would love to give you one, just raise your hand and, uh, and they'll, they'll bring you one. And as we're turning there, if you are using one of those Bibles, it's page 841. Uh, but Mark 6, and we're going to start with verse 6, and we're going to read. Here's what it says. It says, and he marveled, this is the end of the story Nathan shared with us last week, he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two, and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake the dust that is on your feet off as a testimony against them. 
So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So that's the A. Here's the B. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the, ba- uh, some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he's Elijah. And others said he's a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask for me whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. That's the B. Look how he brings it back. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. And so we have this story. And again, I want to focus mainly on mission. And uh, I have an eight-point sermon Um, so hopefully that doesn't scare any of you, Uh, but I want to point out eight things that I think Jesus is teaching us about what it means to be a missionary in this text, and one of those is going to bring to light why I think Mark's created this sandwich, so we'll get to that in a little bit, Um, but let's just, uh, we're going to dig into those, and I want to say especially that um, this plays directly into, I, I was, I came back on staff here at church a little over a year ago, to be mainly, I do a lot of stuff, but to be mainly the microchurch guy. So I, I want to champion microchurches. I want to see our church increasingly, see everybody plugged into MCs. I want to see our, our people be trained better and better about what it means to be on mission and the everyday stuff of life. And, and I'm standing in really the tradition or, or the, the, the starting place that Nathan started uh, before me, because Nathan, before I was back here, was the one that really said, we need to be about missional communities, microchurches, same difference. We need to, to think of ourselves as a church at 24. We need to be people on mission in the everyday stuff of life. And so I've been coming back and kind of taking the mantle that he started with and, and want to, and we're getting there slowly, but I want us to continually as a people be more and more, more and more realize that we're called to mission more and more equipped to see and and understand what mission looks like. 
and to think of ourselves as a, as a missional people. And a big part of the way that we do that is in our micro churches as small families on mission to specific people groups all over our community. And so I'm going to be relating a lot about that today and kind of giving some, some instructions how it relates to MCs. Uh, but it, it matters that all these points work uh, regardless. But that's just kind of my caveat. Um, so let's go ahead and jump in. The first one here, first point I just want you to see in the text is that spending time with Jesus increases our desire to share Jesus with others. Spending time with Jesus increases our desire to share Jesus with others. Notice that, that Jesus sends out his apostles, but what have they been doing? They've been hanging out with him now for several chapters of Mark and, and several weeks, months. We don't know exactly how long it is. But they've, they've been spending time with him. Mark 1 says, After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time was fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And that was basically what Jesus was doing. He was going everywhere and he was healing and he was performing many mighty miracles and he was teaching and proclaiming the coming of the kingdom of God. That that when he had shown up on the scene, everything was changing because he had shown up. And the inbreaking of the kingdom of God was occurring and Satan was being bound. And the Messiah had come. And the disciples watched him do this. And they spent time with him. And they fumbled many times as well. We see them have doubt. We see them struggle. We see them not understand. Um, but at the same time, we see them continually amazed. And as they spend time with Jesus, they become more amazed with who he is. And this, I think, directly relates to mission. If, if we are not spending regular time with Jesus, being amazed at Jesus, worshiping Jesus, realizing more and more who he is, it's going to be very hard for us to share him with others. Not impossible, but, but hard for us to share him with others. I have no problem uh, recommending products that I have spent some time with and know they're good, right? We're all this kind of way. We're natural evangelists about a lot of things. I have no problem recommending to you Intelligentsia coffee because every cup of Intelligentsia coffee, their roaster in, in Chicago, every cup of Intelligentsia I've ever had is amazing. And so I can say wholeheartedly, like, if you want good coffee, you're not going to go wrong with Intelligentsia. And, and anybody that knows me knows I can, like, get way off on evangelizing about a whole lot of products and coffee and food and knives and, you know, who knows what I, I get into a new thing, like, every month, you know. And so I, I spend time with stuff, and I know it's a good thing, and I want to tell you about it because I want you to experience it. I have no problem recommending still outdoor products because I've had a weed eater for, like, 10 years that I've just beat the heck out of, and it's still just going strong as can be. Just as long as you put non-ethanol fuel in that bad boy, it's going to just keep going, you know, and I got a blower, and it's going strong, too, and I, I got a chainsaw, and I love to cut stuff down, and, and you know, and it, they're good products. And so I would say, yeah, don't, don't go buy a Poulon. Go buy a still because I think it's going to be better for you because I've spent time with it, and I know it's a good thing. And if we spend time with Jesus, we're going to realize you're never going to let me down, just like we sang about earlier. He's not a made-for-TV product that you're like, oh, that looks cool. And then you go in the store in Gatlinburg, and you're like, this is a piece of crap. You know, like Jesus, the more you spend time with him, the more you're like, he's good. He's a good father. He's never going to let me down. Doesn't matter how many times I've screwed up, he, 
He forgives me. Doesn't matter how much I feel myself being the prodigal. He, welcome, he runs to meet me and, and welcomes me back. He, he's a good Savior. He is the Messiah. And the more that we taste of him and see him and know him, the easier it's going to be for us to share and to go out on his mission when he sends us out on his mission. First John says it this way. Listen, First John, and he's, he's talking about Jesus. And in the very beginning of First John, he says, that which was from the beginning, so that's, that's Jesus, <laughs> which we have heard. He said, I was with him. This is John, like one of the apostles. So that was from the beginning. And I heard him, and I've seen him with my eyes, and I, I looked upon him, and I, I touched him with my hands. Not everybody he's talking to has done that, but he's like, but I did. I was with him. I heard him. I saw him. I touched him. Concerning the word of life, that life, Jesus was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. He was with God the Father, and he was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, he says, we proclaim also now to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing, listen to what he says. He says, and I'm writing these things to you so that my joy may be made complete. He says, it's, my, it's the overflowing joy of my heart, having spent time with his Savior, having heard him and touched him and seen him and known him and seen him heal and heard his teaching. And, and I know that he's good. And since I've spent time with him, and I know he's good. I'm commending him to you. And it's actually my joy to share with you how good he is. And the same thing will be true of us. I, one of our biggest problems, mine included, Right? In the American church is maybe that we're just so distracted by so many other good things that it's just easy to, to treat Jesus like just another thing. Or so easy just to kind of be mildly religious that that's all it is. But Christianity is a relationship with the God of the universe. How amazing is that? The God of the universe says, I want to know you. So God wants to know us. That's what Christianity is. And, and as we know him and see that he's good, we can commend him to others more easily, more powerfully. So that's the first point, right? And this is that spending time with Jesus increases our desire to share Jesus with others. First thing about mission. Here's the second thing is that when Jesus sends us on mission, He's doing exactly what he promised to do. When Jesus sent them on mission, he's doing exactly what he promised to do. And he wins, when he sends us on mission, he's doing exactly what he promised to do, right? So Mark 1, it says, Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I'll make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And now, in chapter 6, he sends them out two by two and says, go. He's doing exactly, exactly what he promised to do. It says in Mark 3, when he decided which of the disciples were going to be the apostles, the 12, it says he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him, and he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles. And listen, why? So that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. 
So chapter one, he says, come follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. Chapter three, he, he you know, it's 12 specifically. He says, come, you're going to be my special apostles and I'm going to, you're going to be with me and you're going to, I'm going to send you out to cast out demons and to preach and to teach and to, and to do this stuff. And so now in chapter six, he sends them out. It wasn't like any big surprise. Lots of times when we invite people to follow Jesus, we don't say it that way, do we? We say, come, invite Jesus into your heart, and you'll be saved of your sin. And that's true. We say, your life looks like a wreck. We know somebody that can change your life and to give you new meaning. And that's true. We say, you're trapped in sin and death and destruction, and there's one who's come as a savior, and he can save you. And that's true. But I feel like lots of times we don't ever say, come follow a guy, and he's going to make you a fisher of men. Because sometimes when it comes to mission, we're like, what? You mean I have to, like, do some stuff? I don't know that I can do some stuff. And that, that is Christianity. To be on mission, to be a missionary, is Christianity. I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on you. I used to have a seminary that did this, like, missions day twice a year. And it was just one large guilt trip. And I quit going. I'm like, quit trying to tell me to tell people about Jesus out of guilt. That's a horrible motivator. You guys are in sin by doing this. Tell me to tell other people about Jesus because of the overflow of the joy from my heart, having spent time with him and knowing that he is good. But it is true that we're all the, the sent ones of God. That's what it means to follow him. Here's how Spurgeon put it. This is an amazing quote. Charles Spurgeon, if you don't know who that is, dead preacher from England, really considered the prince of preachers, amazing dude. He says, if Jesus is precious to you, you will not be able to keep your good news to yourself. You'll be whispering it in your child's ear. You'll be telling it to your husband. You'll be earnestly imparting it to your friend. Without the charms of eloquence, you'll be more than eloquent. Your heart will speak and your eyes will flash as you talk of his sweet love. Every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. Recollect that. You either try to spread abroad the kingdom of Christ or else you do not love him at all. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. Be wise in your generation and speak of him in fitting ways and at fitting times. And so in every place, proclaim the fact that Jesus is most precious to your soul. When he calls and sends them out and when he calls us and sends us out, shouldn't come as a surprise. And we should do it gladly, having spent time with the Savior and knowing that he is good. Thirdly, I want you to see that mission is, and this should be so encouraging to us right here, mission is a communal activity. You see that? Jesus, it says, he called the 12 apostles to spend time with him, and he sent them. And how did he send them? And he sent them out two by two. He didn't send them out solo. He said, you guys go in groups, two by two. The early Testament church followed the same pattern. Paul, when he was sent out, went with Barnabas. And even when he and Barnabas split ways, it became Paul and Timothy, and it became uh, Barnabas and John Mark. 
They're always, mission is, is a communal activity. We're not in it alone. We, we go with other believers together to reach people for Christ. Listen to this lengthy quote from Tim Chester and Steve Timmis, who are two pastors in England that I love. And it says, they say, so often the call to evangelism produces guilt and despondency. This is due in part to ungodly attitudes such as pride and the fear of men. However, not all of us are, are eloquent or engaging. Not everyone can think on their feet. Some people are simply not good at speaking to strangers and forming new friendships. By making evangelism a community project, it also takes seriously the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit in distributing a variety of gifts among his people. Everyone has his part to play. The new Christian, the introvert, the extrovert, the eloquent, the stuttering, the intelligent, the awkward. <laughs> awkward people are on mission too. Awesome, you know? I may be the one who has begun to build a relationship with my neighbor, but in introducing him to community, it is someone else who shares the gospel with him. I, I started the relationship, introduced some of my friends, somebody else shared with him. That's not only legitimate, it's positively thrilling. Pete may never share the gospel verbally with Duncan, but his welcome and love are an integral part of the evangelistic process and should be honored as such. Meanwhile, Susan can make friends and introduce them to the community, confident that others will present them at an opportune point in, in an appropriate way with the challenges of the gospel. It's lovely to think of us making up for one another's deficiencies with our collective community strengths. Amen? And so we pursue this together. Most of the commands of the New Testament were not given to individuals. We think of them that way because we're very Western. But most of the commandments in the New Testament were given to the church, plural, people, together. We're on mission together. It doesn't mean you're never going to share the gospel alone, but it means overall this is a community project. And so I want to I show you a diagram that I think will be helpful called Three Strands of Evangelism. It's going to pop up on the screen here in a second. And it shows three different activities that all lead to us sharing the gospel. Here it is. Three strands of evangelism. Building relationships, sharing the gospel, introducing people to community. Let's, especially in our MCs and as the church at 24, let's do all three of these things because all three of these things help bring people to Christ. We build relationships with people. Some, some, some people just don't know any. They think Christians are like weird people that are downtown picketing. Like music. Like they just don't know. They don't know anybody that's like a normal Christian. Maybe they know you. They just don't realize you're a Christian. I, I don't know. But like increasingly, especially as our, church, our world turns more and more secular, lots of people just don't know like normal, kind, nice, not freakishly weird people that are Christians. And so when you build relationships with people, you're creating an opportunity later to be able to share the gospel. And then there is actually sharing the gospel, which is what you have to do if anybody's going to come to faith. You have to verbally share the news of the gospel message so that people can believe in Christ. And so we got to do that. And then we introduce people into community. And this is this amazing idea that a guy named Jesus came up with. But Leslie Newbegin later reiterated what Jesus had already said. And Jesus said, uh, people will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. And so then Leslie Newbegin picked up on that and said, said, the community of the church, in other words, how we love one another, becomes an apologetic for the gospel. 
It becomes a defense of the gospel. When we love one another well, everybody can plainly see that Jesus has done something, that he's real, that he's changed us. And so lots of times what we're doing is inviting unbelievers into the midst of Christian community where they can see us loving each other well, and then that becomes a defense or an apologetic for the gospel. And so when we're, especially as a community, doing all three of these things, building relationships, sharing the gospel boldly, like telling Jesus, but, you know, not in awkward, weird ways, but we're just generally Jesus. Is, we're all about Jesus. We're the Jesus people. And so they hear about Jesus. They hear us talking about our relationship with Jesus. They hear us talking about going to church. They, they hear us talk about our Christian friends. And then they see us genuinely loving one another. These three strands come together to form the three strands of evangelism by which, as a community, we can pursue seeing many people come to faith in Christ. It's a communal activity. Number four, it's also Holy Spirit-dependent activity. Look at this. He called out the twelve and began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits. No, no unclean spirits being cast out, but the Holy Spirit, Right? And he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics, only one tunic. And then he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. Why these weird specific instructions? Bingo. Got to walk by faith. These, these aren't like wooden things like, hey, if you're going to go share Jesus, you got to have on sandals. You know, not not two coats, one toe, just a tunic. You know, and it's, you can carry a stick. This this is descriptive of what happened to them. It's not it's not prescriptive for exactly how we should carry out mission today. But it is prescriptive in the sense that what what is Jesus doing? He's saying, let your dependence in mission not be on how prepared you are and how set up everything is and, and all the stuff you've got and your Evangel cube, you know, and your your big Bible. And don't don't let your your strength, the strength of the mission be reliant upon all this stuff that you've got prepared or throwing the absolutely perfect party that everything's going to be amazing. Everybody's going to go, wow, this is a great party. Why are you guys doing this? Like do that stuff, but don't let your dependence be upon the stuff. Let your dependence be upon the Holy Spirit because he's the one that saves. And I think that's the point, just like Rita said, that Mark is making right here. Why all these specific instructions? Jesus didn't want them thinking about having money and tunics and all that stuff and worrying about that stuff. He wanted them focused, laser focused on the mission at hand. He wanted them dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Here's what James Edwards says. He says, the barest of essentials ensures that they place their trust not in their supplies and training, but rather on the one who sends them. Kent Hughes says, dependence is necessary to meet and evangelize an unbelieving world. Jesus, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We can't save anybody. We can't convict of sin. When we try to convict a sin, that's called a guilt trip. Some of you are great at guilt trip. Let the Holy Spirit do the convicting. I'm not saying there's never a point to like, confront your brother about sin. 
Okay, I'm not saying that. But some of us love to play the part of the Holy Spirit. Don't do that. Let him be the spirit. Let him convict. Let him draw people. You be faithful to share the news. You be faithful to love. You be faithful to be generous. You be faithful to pray. Generous. You be faithful to pray. Let's be a Holy Spirit dependent people as we're on mission together. Fifthly, Jesus sends us on mission before it seems like we're ready. Right? So you may be up here hearing me today and you're going, I don't know about this, man. Like, I, I believe what you're saying. I just, I don't know if I'm ready for that. I mean, these, these disciples were a wreck, weren't they? Jesus is up praying. They're like, everybody's looking for you. It's like, it's cool. I'm spending time with the Father. They're like, come on down. In a little bit, we're going to see hey, Jesus like, hey, feed these people. And they're like, yo, Jesus, like, we don't have any food. Food's not a problem. I got the provisions. They get in a boat and they're like, we are perishing, Jesus, and you're asleep. And he goes, I created everything. It's cool. Like, I got this. Doubt, struggle, amazement, doubt, struggle, amazement. These guys were a mess. And we're a mess. And we don't feel like we're ready for mission. How can I tell my coworker about Jesus? How's that going to happen? How am I going to be such a good neighbor that my neighbor's going to go like, what's up with you? Like, how, how is that stuff going to happen? How's, how is our MC going to actually see people come to faith in Christ? Because we're doing it together and because the Holy Spirit's empowering us and because we're always, we're never completely ready. We're always jacked up. He sends us out before we're ready, but he sends us nonetheless. And so every single one of us, if you're a follower of Christ, you're, you're on mission today. All the weight's not on you, but, but go. Share what you know. Share your story. Be on mission. Love people. No strings attached. Be a hard worker at work. Be the guy that your boss can, can always know he can depend on. And bear witness in all these little ways to the goodness of Christ. And as the Holy Spirit opens doors, share boldly about how Jesus has changed your life. You're not ready. It's okay. The power doesn't belong in to you. It resides inside of you, but it's not from you. The sending of reluctant and timorous disciples into mission is, on the face of it, completely mistaken. Uncomprehending and ill-prepared disciples, nevertheless, typify believers in every age and place who are sent out by the Lord of the harvest no matter how much exegesis, theology, and counseling one has studied, one is never prepared for ministry. A genuine call to ministry always calls us to that for which we are not adequately prepared. It is only in awareness of this that the Christian experiences the presence and promise of Jesus Christ and learns to depend not on human capabilities, but on the one who calls and in the power of the proclamation to authenticate itself. Sixthly, we're sent on mission to proclaim the gospel message with words and to demonstrate the truth of the gospel with deeds. All right, so this is kind of a reiteration of an earlier point, but don't get it twisted. The gospel is news. You can't do news, but you can share news. It's one of the reasons we know what we meant by it 
It's one of the reasons we dropped the phrase, love God, love people, live gospel. It's technically the gospel is a message. You can't live a message. You can. You know what you mean. We mean by that. But the message is shared. But then we do do stuff, right? And the stuff we do backs up the message. And that's what we meant by it. But we didn't want to be confusing. But when we're sent on mission, we must share. Paul says, how are they going to hear unless a preacher is sent? And he says, faith. So faith and people comes by hearing. What kind of hearing? Hearing of the word of God. And so when we share Jesus, we need to share with our mouths. But we also love with deeds. And as the Holy Spirit imparts, sometimes even miraculous deeds with power. And that's what we see especially illustrated in this passage is they went and they healed. They anointed with oil and people were healed. They cast out demons. Jesus said, that's what I'm going to send you to do. I've been, the kingdom of God's coming. And with that means that we have power over demons. And so I'm sending you with power over demons and you're to proclaim the message. And they did all three. And so as we go out, that may seem like, I don't know if that applies to us today, Ben, or not, but it does. So as we go out and we seek to share the message of Jesus, let's share it verbally and let's demonstrate it with our lives. And let's ask for power and anointing from the Holy Spirit to even do miraculous things. Hey, man, my pastor uh, growing up, and this was like straight-laced Mississippi Southern Baptist Church, on two different occasions ran into demon-possessed people not looking for it. And this wasn't like he was going into like weird places. He was like people in his community in Alabama. And he ran into demon-possessed people and prayed for them. In both cases, I think, for a couple hours. <laughs> While people were on all fours and screamed with voices that seemed less than human and were crazy and were trying to hurt themselves. And it probably felt a lot like Legion that we just read about. And then the demon left. And he was able to share with them the true spirit, the true savior that comes to live with inside of us. I'm not saying that's like your everyday thing. But as we are sent on mission, we may encounter principalities and powers and demonic forces. And greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And we do have authority over those demons in Jesus' name. And we do have power. And I believe thoroughly that God still does the miraculous. And I have it all figured out. But I've seen a youth pastor prophesied over and healed. He was my youth pastor, and it was amazing. And I had a pastor going, I'm all in a Baptist church, by the way. Uh, and I had a pastor who twice was used by the Lord to pray out some demons. And this stuff still happens. And it could happen on your street. Who knows? The point is, share boldly the message of Jesus. Demonstrate lovingly the change that Jesus has made. Equip yourself. Pray for the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit to be ready to encounter whatever you may encounter. Mission. Seventhly, and this is the sandwich part, right? So we're coming full circle. Being on mission for Jesus could cost us everything. Isn't that the point? 
He sends them out two by two. He sends them out so much two by two that like God's doing such amazing things through as they, they're, believe it, the, the, the disciples are an extension of Jesus' mission. It's not a new mission. They're just extending his mission. And as they're sent out, it seems like the news of what Jesus is doing like spreads all the way to Herod. And so Herod starts having a conversation about who this guy is. And he says, I think it might be John whom I beheaded alive from the dead. I don't know where he got that idea. It wasn't John. It was Jesus. And then it tells this story about John. And John in his ministry, Jesus called him the greatest prophet who ever lived. John in his ministry came to a point in his ministry where he had to speak truth to power. We don't know exactly why he was telling Herod this specific thing. Like, hey, it's not okay for you to divorce your other wife and marry your brother's wife and for her to divorce your brother and for now you to marry her. But that's what Herod had done. And John says, hey, it's not lawful for you to have her. And N.T. Wright helped me maybe understand why John is doing this because I don't think we're necessarily always supposed to go around as Christians and just call it everybody's sin. Like, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. Hey, that's sinful. I mean, this guy was a Roman official. Like, why is John messing with him about his sin? But the reason might be, this is a surmising here with N.T. Wright, the reason might be that Herod, the Tetrarch, this, there was a bunch of Herods, it was a family name, but this Herod kind of thought he was a king and he, kind, and he had Jewish descent, even though he wasn't walking in the ways of God, and he kind of thought of himself as a Messiah sort of figure. In fact, he was completing what his father had started in rebuilding and fixing up the temple, which was the sign that all the Jewish people were looking for, the completion of the temple. And so he may have kind of wanted everybody to think of him as a, as a king, as a Messiah, as someone to be worshipped. And so perhaps it was in that situation that John then says, hey, bro, there's no way you could be the Messiah. You divorced your wife and married your brother's wife for crying out loud. The Messiah is the son of God, the sinless one, the king, not you. And it may have been that that got John imprisoned. And Herod knows something's up with this guy. He doesn't really want to kill him. But Herodias, the woman he married that was his brother's wife, she holds a grudge. And so when the opportune time came, John was killed. And so the apostles go out and they have this great mission and they're doing all this stuff and it's amazing. And they come back and tell Jesus, even the demons were subject to us. Like we healed people and anointed them with oil and, and they were healed and we proclaimed the gospel and, and we did it, Jesus, just like you've been doing it. We did it, man. And, and it's like Mark is saying right in the middle of that, it went good this time, but it could cost you everything. Mission could cost us everything. Jesus said, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? 
Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Jesus asks us to be willing to give up everything to follow him. And we may especially see the loss of things as we follow him on mission. And then lastly, it says they come back and they tell Jesus about what he's done, what all they've done, really, that he's done in them. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. Mission is exhausting, even though it's not our power, it's the Holy Spirit's. It, it wears us out. It's hard work. And it's okay to rest. And so one of the things we're teaching in MCs, and I think that you should think about, especially as it relates to mission, is a breathe in or breathe out, breathe in rhythm, right? You breathe out mission and activity going forth in Jesus' name. And then after you've breathed out for a while, you need to breathe in again. You need to rest. You need to remember that the power is in Jesus, not in you. You need to remind your MC, one another, of the gospel. It's not all on us. It's on Jesus. Upon this rock will build my church. The gates of Hades will not overcome it. He's going to establish the church. He's going to go forth, regardless of me and you. He invites us, like a dad inviting his kid to work. He invites us into his work with him. And so we, you know, like a kid, when he goes with his dad to work, probably doesn't do a lot of good work, especially if he's a little kid. And dad loves to have him along anyway. Look what daddy does. God the Father invites us. We're not a lot of help. A little kid with daddy to work, but he involves us in his work. And we get to be a part of it. But it's on him to do it. But we get to be part of it. But as we extend ourselves in mission, breathe out. We need to come back and breathe in. And remind ourselves of the truths and how our Father loves us. So I think this passage just paints for us a beautiful picture of how to be a missionary according to Jesus. And I want to ask you just a few simple questions in closing today. Because we're all involved. If we're followers of Jesus Christ, he's calling us all on mission. So just, just think through these questions. How is Jesus calling you specifically right now to be on mission? What's he saying to your heart? There may have been a person that popped in your head in the sermon or somebody you need to pray for or a neighbor that you need to do a better job loving. What's he calling you to? Who's good calling you to love? It's hard to love. Who do you desperately need to share Jesus with? You keep putting off the conversation, but... You know it needs to happen soon. Who are you praying for right now that they might come to salvation? Who who are you intentionally building a relationship with so that you might share Christ with them at the appropriate time? How, How are you actively planning to go on a mission trip in the near future? I love that we've got some college students in our church that are on mission. I, I saw the, up, the update on Facebook member page this morning about Leanne, who's over in Haiti. And Haiti's kind of going crazy right now. And so let's all pray for Leanne and her safety. 
because apparently the government raised like double the price of gas, and so everybody's freaking out. You can't travel. They want everybody to leave, but you can't travel to get away. And she, a missionary sent from this church, is there right now. Let's pray for her. But how are we, are you planning to go on a trip to Uganda or Haiti or somewhere else? How are you supporting missionaries who are on the field around the world? I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just saying simply, Jesus called us on mission. And he's called us on all on mission in different ways. So what's he speaking to your heart right now about how you need to be more involved on mission or develop a deeper heart so that you can be on mission or spend more time with Jesus so that you want to be on mission? What, what's he saying to you? That's the application for believers, which I'm assuming most of us are. But if you're here today and you're not yet a believer, like you're just checking this thing out. You're not sure... This Jesus cat is real. Maybe he's just a good teacher. Is he really a savior? And that's kind of where you are. Number one, if that's you, we love that you're here. And you're, you're free to just stay here and explore and try to figure it out. But I want to testify to you today that he is good. And that he is the savior. And that as a seven-year-old little boy, he first spoke to my heart. And revealed himself to me. And he's been with me ever since. And if you would like to invite him into your life for the very first time, you can do that today as well. And then you get to join the mission. And so if he's drawing your heart, if he's speaking to you this morning, would you respond in faith? The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so if you need to do that today, I just want to invite you again, just a second, talk to him, pray to him, ask him to come into your life and to save you and to send you on mission. And he will do it. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, there's just been a lot of stuff in this passage. A lot of it's kind of just like technical and and helpful, and good reminders, and I thank you for that. But just like what I preach, Lord, I can't, I can't convict anybody right in this second. I can't draw anybody towards you, and so I'm expecting you to do all the hard work. And so in these next moments, moments as, we, as we take communion and as we, as we think and respond, Lord, I just pray that you would help, help all of 24 churches to go up a notch or two in our missional sending capacity because you're working in our hearts and you're convicting us of sin and you're drawing us to yourself and you're revealing again how good you are. And so, Father, would you just move powerfully in these next few moments? And, and, and Father, if there's somebody here and they're not yet part of your family, they're not yet your child, they're separated from you. They don't even realize it, but they're separated from you. But you're calling to them right now. Lord, would you, would you draw somebody to yourself? Would you work savingly, powerfully in this room and draw us to faith, fresh faith for the believer and new faith for the first time believer in Jesus Christ. And help us to rejoice as we partake of your table. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.